In Christ Jesus, dear fellow redeemed, last week when we were in the sermon for Sunday, we looked at the conversation between Jesus and his disciples way up north in Caesarea Philippi. And it's that in that place that Peter made this great confession of faith that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, God has revealed this to you. You didn't come up with that on your own. And I'll build my church on this rock. And Peter, you are a rock that's confessing the rock solid faith of who I am. It must have been a very affirming experience for Peter to have Jesus say that. But what comes next sort of knocks Peter's feet out from under him. But it's always in order to ultimately bless Peter and us that Jesus would have to do that. And so we're going to look at the, the, what happened next. Matthew tells us that Jesus began to speak very specifically about as they were leaving Caesarea Philippi, how they were going to Jerusalem, that he would go there, suffer and die. And this was not in their psyche at all. The apostles were thoroughly Jewish and they had a thoroughly uh, temporal worldview of the Messiah and how he would set up an earthly kingdom. The idea that Messiah would suffer was 180 degrees different than what they, they grew up believing and thinking. And they're not yet converted to understanding everything about Jesus' work. So watch what happens and learn because what Jesus is going to teach us is serving God and people is not supposed to necessarily be easy, but it's important. And, and that, that, just remember that phrase, serving is not easy, but it's important. Because that's really the underlying spiritual truth that Jesus is teaching about himself and about us. And Peter's learning the lesson. So, we're going to Matthew. We're in chapter 16. We pick up right where we left off last week. And, and uh, I'll read to you just the first paragraph. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter was having none of that. Peter took him aside. He began to rebuke Jesus. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. There's more for today, but I'm going to stop right there for a minute. I ran the Boston Marathon. I don't look like a runner, but I did. Well, not really, but I kind of did. Let me tell you what happened. My wife, when we were in our early 40s, trained for a marathon in San Diego, and she ran so fast that she qualified for the Boston Marathon. And I wasn't going to rob her of that by discouraging her. In fact, she trained some more for that marathon because you have to qualify by having good times at some other marathon. And she did. And so we went up to Boston, her and a few of her running friends, and, and uh, she ran the Boston Marathon. The Boston Marathon is, has a lot of downhill. And during her training for the Boston Marathon, downhill runs were affecting Mary's right leg with the, her IT band that comes across from your hip. Now, I, I'm not a, a doctor or a physical therapist, and down towards your knee. And it, sometimes she had excruciating pain. Well, the downhill runs in the Boston Marathon were eating her lunch. And every now and then, 
uh, I would be at a different point in the race and I would watch for her and I'd find her and, and I would be waving at her. Well, when she came this, uh, down this one stretch after about four or five miles of downhill, I jogged out into the middle of the runners and jogged alongside of her. And I said, how are you doing, honey? And she said, my IT band is killing me. It hurts so bad. I've never hurt this bad before. To which I said, as a loving husband, just quit right now. You don't have to take care of your leg. I thought I was being very positive and engaging and giving her permission. And she, she shouted at me, don't talk to me like that. Get away from me. <laughs> I thought, whoa, that, wasn't, that didn't go over the way I thought it would. So I jogged off the Boston Marathon, and that was the last time I ever ran that race. She made it to the end, and she was very glad she did, and I was proud of her. I think that my words to her were a lot like Peter's words in the ears and the heart of Jesus Christ. When Peter said, never, Lord, this won't happen to you. Let me explain what I mean. Mary had spent a lot of time, energy, and money preparing for the Boston Marathon. And she was on a mission to complete that race. I was a spectator. I was not on a mission to complete the race. I was watching her. She was, though, living on mission. And when I came into the race and thought I would give her advice, I was 180 degrees in a, thinking in a different direction than she was. Peter heard that uh, Jesus' affirmation about Peter's words that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And everything in Peter's mind was that this is a, a, a wonderful, beautiful ushering in of the easy life has brought to earth. And after all, Jesus is God. He, uh, he heals people. He raises the dead. He feeds the hungry miraculously. He calms the storm. <laughs> what does he need to suffer? He's confirming everything we've ever thought about the Messiah. And then Jesus is saying, my IT band is hurting and I'm going to be hurting a lot worse and I'm going to die. And Peter's saying, no, you don't have to be that way. You don't have to suffer. You're the Messiah. But for Jesus, it was just like the words of Satan when he was in the wilderness and the devil came to tempt him. Remember what he said? You don't have to suffer. Just bow down to me for just a second. And then you, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. You can find a shortcut. You can get around the cross. But Jesus could not get around the cross and accomplish his mission. Mary could not leave the race and came what she, do what she came for. Jesus came to pay for our sins, to redeem us, to suffer and die and, and, and take care of the justice of God and take care of the death that comes from sin and give us freedom and eternal life. And he was on mission. He was on point. And Peter wasn't getting it. And Jesus would say, get behind me, Satan, because Satan was behind Peter's misguided words. And Jesus recognized him, that the, the devil was behind it. I wonder how it must have struck Peter to be affirmed so well in a few moments or day later get knocked down so fast. It reminds me of the time when in Matthew 18, just a little bit later, when the Lord says to Peter, the, to all the disciples, if your brother sins, you go and confront him and, and, and 
if he comes back to you, you've won your brother over. And Peter meanders up next to Jesus and says, what if he does it seven times in a day? And Jesus, instead of saying, well, I know seven times is a lot. He goes, I tell you, if it's 70 times seven, I don't care. You forgive him every time. And he knew it was so hard on Peter for him to say that, that he told him a parable to help him understand what grace is all about. Sometimes the teacher has to shock the student so the student will listen to the teacher. Last week, when we talked about Peter's great confession, I harped on two things about Jesus. If you watched that sermon last week, do you remember what they were? That if you are going to know God and know salvation, you need to know the person of Jesus and believe in them both. He is the God-man who came to save us from our sins. And we talked about that being the key to all good witnessing for Christ, the person and the work of Jesus. To be saved, Peter needed to know the person and the work of Jesus, and he did. But the work he was just now starting to understand. But to be sanctified, not just saved, but to be sanctified, to be the process of being set apart for good for God, you need to know your person and your work behind Christ. So I told you I ran the Boston Marathon, and then I told you I didn't because I didn't. I, I've never trained for a marathon. I've ran a half marathon, but I've never trained for a marathon, and I only ran the Boston Marathon for about 100 yards. Otherwise, I was a spectator. Peter with his human understanding of what the kingdom of God on earth is like, was in danger of becoming a spectator. And he's now in heaven, and he didn't end up being a spectator. But you are still on earth, and you and I are in danger of being spectators. So what Jesus does, and this is what's so fascinating, because if you look at all the different conversations Jesus in the Gospels, you're going to see this. He draws each, each person that's talking to him into a conversation, and then he gives them way more than they bargained for, and it usually has to do with divine, Holy Spirit-driven change in their mind, their thinking, and the way that they live. And what I'm telling you right now is God wants to change you and me in the way that we think and the way that we live. And what he wants to do is to teach us that serving him and people is not easy, not on a, in a sinful world, but it's important. And he also wants to teach us that the measure of our life is not how it was saved, but how it was spent. And so often we think the opposite. So did Peter. So, to, so he's got Peter's attention. He has shocked him by saying, get behind me, Satan. And now he's ready for Peter to learn about Peter's place his person and his work as a disciple of Christ. So Peter is now going to see his identity as not just being a spectator, but a disciple. When my wife trained for that Boston Marathon, she was the disciple of another man who taught a whole bunch of runners how to run a marathon. She was a disciple, and she wasn't listening to her husband. She was listening to what he had taught her about pushing through. Well, Jesus, we are his disciples, and he's going to teach how to push through as Christians. Listen to what he says. It's in it's chapter 16 if you want to look in your Bible or look on the screen. 
After he said, you are concerned about human matters, verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, you want to run the race of life like me, you want to be in the game of life the way I've appointed you to, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. This is a, a heart full of words in just a very brief exchange between Jesus and his disciples. Think about what he's saying. Unless you are willing to take up your cross and follow you're not worthy of me. He said that in another place that way. That's in chapter 10 of Matthew. But here he says, if you want to be my disciple, you must pick up your cross and follow me. What is he talking about? Well, he's just started this conversation by saying, I'm going to go die on the cross. So he is voluntarily, and it's hard, that doesn't make it easy, voluntarily walking toward Jerusalem to carry that cross out to Golgotha and die for your sins and mine. It was excruciatingly hard, but it was important. If you want to be Jesus' disciple, you will humbly, honestly, lovingly love for God and love for people do the right things you will do the important things regardless of whether they're easy my father used to teach us boys and girls the six kids that he raised he said you know the difference between a man and a boy a man is the one that knows the right thing to do and even if it's hard he goes ahead and does it Jesus says you know what a disciple is someone who know, that that knows that what he must do is going to be hard but he does it anyway. Peter got that lesson later. First, he denied knowing Christ because he wasn't in, he hadn't yet learned it. He didn't want to suffer with Jesus. He already more who Jesus was. And that fireside outside of the courtroom, he denied knowing him. But Jesus kept coming back. And Jesus showed him salvation. The risen Lord, after suffering and dying, said, Now, you're going to continue in your ministry of leadership, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. And this is John chapter 21. He says, someday you're going to actually be picked up and carried to a place you don't want to go, which is talking about Peter dying on a cross. And Peter did die on a cross as a martyr in Jesus' name. But if you look at First and Second Peter that he wrote toward the very end of his life, First Peter's all about learning to suffer and not being surprised by the fiery trial that each Christian goes through. So here's the story of your life. If you want to do the right thing, because you know God has done the right thing for you and adopted you to be his child, if you want to please God, then you look at every area of your life that you know God has given you to do for him, and you do it no matter what the cost. Is your calling to be a son or a daughter of parents who need you to come by their side and help them? 
even though it costs you a tremendous amount of time, energy, effort, and heartache, then you do it. That's carrying the cross of Christ's love. Is it being a husband or a wife to a very perfect spouse? Then you do it because you're carrying your cross for Christ. Is it being a parent of an ungrateful child or a special needs child? Then you do it because you're carrying the cross for Christ and for that child. Is it being a faithful worker in a hard day's work? Then you do it for the sake of the cross of Christ and serving God and people. These are your vocations that I'm mentioning. Is it being an active member of the movement of Christ on the earth by being a part of a corporate body of believers that's a basket full of sinners who are not always easy to work with? Then you do it because you're carrying your cross for Christ. Our culture is the opposite. We are in a culture of convenience and of quitting. Uh, let me explain what I mean. Uh, America, we're champions at comfort and convenience. That's why we work so hard at all the amenities that we have in our affluent life. All of the things that we have to keep us comfortable in our car or our, like air conditioning in our car and our buildings. Uh, I was talking to somebody the other day and they said, I like the new minivans because the old minivan I used to have, if you wanted to remove that back seat, it took you forever to get that back seat out. And then you had to put it in your garage and you had to store it. Now all you got to do is just fold that thing up down in the floor. Success, right? Nothing wrong with that. That's just, I'm showing you what our culture is like. How many times has somebody said to you when you're struggling with your phone, hey, you know, there's an app for that. Yeah, because if you can get an app where somebody made it easy and there's a, there's a workaround, who would not want that, right? And efficiency is, is great. It's valuable and it works. It's part of our culture, right? So this gets into our thinking that everything's supposed to be easy. You're supposed to be able to cook food in a microwave in 30 seconds. You're supposed to be able to, to, to simplify everything and make it easy. And so what's sneaking around in our heart is marriage is supposed to be easy or you just throw it away. Or working out, working out to, make, uh, to be a wrestler, or to be a football player, basketball player, to be first chair in the band is supposed to be easy. And so we have, a, we have a, a tendency as human beings to drop off if it's hard. See, um, Being a Sunday school teacher is supposed to be easy. Uh, sharing Christ with a friend or a loved one and confronting them with who Jesus is and what he's done or their sin and their need to turn to him, it's supposed to be easy. The story's always supposed to end well. And so where they come to Jesus and say a prayer and give you a big hug and become church, it's supposed to be easy or else we'll kind of have a spirit of we don't need to do that. See, that's what Peter was saying to Jesus. You should never have to go and suffer, right? I was talking to a pastor yesterday about uh, a big boo that happened at his church. He said, when the meeting was over, I had three council members in my office turning in their resignation. Not because they, they were mad at me, but because they said, this is too hard. How many times haven't we had uh, in, in ourselves in when something it, to, to fit something in to do our calling as a Christian in the body of Christ conflicted with our family that we just said, we got we to we not do one or the other. I know I'm challenging you, uh, but it's, it's important. It's burning in the heart of my pastor's heart that we would learn 
to carry the cross in a joyful way. Jesus, when it says in Hebrews 12 that Jesus carried the cross for the joy that was set before him, he didn't do it because it was easy. He did it because it was important and it saved us. So when we step up to serve at our church or in our marriage, in our work or as a mom or dad, and we do the hard thing, we do it because it's important, not because it's easy. We don't need to quit. Now, let me share. What we need to do sometimes is to reduce. Maybe we need to get, it, get a balanced view. Maybe we're so unhealthy in our thinking and so stressed out that we need to kind of pull back. Maybe we need some perspective. Maybe we need to get help from somebody else. Maybe we don't need to be on 100% of the time. Maybe we need to be on 50% of the time in our, in our church activity that we're working at to help the push forward the gospel of Christ. But we're not supposed to quit. Can you imagine standing before Jesus one day and he goes, what? Now tell me again why you quit teaching other people the, the good news of Christ. Why did you? Well, it was so hard, Jesus. He'll say, I love you and I forgive you, but I never intended for you to quit. Remember what I said to Peter? Don't try to save your life, but spend it. Invest it. Uh, he says here in the last passage I read to you, when I come back with my holy angels, and he intends for us to understand this. He doesn't say it this way. He says, I'm going to take my redeemed believers who know my person and my work. I'm going to take them to heaven. But the rewards in heaven that I'm going to give, they're going to be based on living a life of faith, which means taking up your cross. It means serving. This is deep. And I'm going to say visceral usually means negative, but it's a deep visceral commitment on the part of a Christian. That's why it's such a, a, a gross picture of take up your cross, because it was a, a finality of death by torture or the, what the Romans did to the Jews. And he says, you take up your cross and you serve. I remember one time asking a, a, a young man, because I'm always constantly trying to recruit people for ministry. I said, would you ever think about being a pastor someday? He said, yeah. He goes, I said, why would you like to be a pastor? He said, everybody likes you. I thought, man, is he in for a rude surprise? I'm not doing it because everybody likes me. I'm doing it because it's important. It isn't easy, but it's great and it's important. Um, I'm sharing all these examples because I want you to think about your different roles in your life. And I want you and Jesus to sit alone and I want you to think about your commitment. See, it's one thing to confess you are the Christ. It's another thing to say I'm, com I'm committed to being your disciple. And Jesus Christ, by being your Savior, Grabs you by the hand and says, come on, I'm going to teach you how to run the Boston for me. Um, we go through a development in our life and we go through high of understanding this. And so all of us is on the journey and all of us is hearing this, this word from God. And it's going to be there in print for us to hear it again. But today is today and we're hearing it for us, our hearts today. My, uh, my parents uh, were people of faith. I remember getting a phone call one time. My father was dying, and it was a two-year process. His brain was deteriorating, and my mother had gone from, 
you know, mutual interdependent best friends, lovers and partners to being caregiver for my dad. And they still were, were uh, loving and they still were partners, but now it was just pretty much one way caregiving for him. He called me one night, it's 2.30 in the morning. Phone rang, woke me up. Hi, he said, hi, Donald, it's mom. She said, I'm sorry to bother you so late, but it's just I'm overwhelmed with emotions. I have to tell somebody, I have to tell you, I don't want to do this. And I thought, do what? Is it like, because I'm a guy, right? You got to hit me between the eyes. Is it changing his bedpan or is it, uh, what it do what? She said, I don't want to do this where your dad is dying and I just have to care. I, I take care of him. And then the, the prize at the end is that he's gone long silence I don't want you to have to do it either this is a calling that we have that you have that I have that our family has this is the time it is in our life this is the cross that we bear she knew that she understood it she needed to tell her feelings of how how adverse she was to the cross it's okay to have those feelings because we're human and we're Peter, right? And Jesus knows how hard it is. He said before he died on the cross, I'm sorrowful even to the point of death from sorrow and stress. And the last two months of my father's life, he needed to be in a nursing care facility. My mother was there around the clock. She wouldn't leave his bedside unless we came to spell her. They have a little picture. It was just a, a, a Sunday school uh, lesson that they had cut out of one of our children's Sunday school lesson and put in a frame. And it was Jesus praying in Gethsemane. Remember what he said to the father when he asked if the cup could pass from him of going to the cross? He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And so this little picture of Jesus, it said at the very bottom, thy will be done. My dear Believing parents went from, I don't want to do this, to thy will be done. And they marched him to the door together. And three years later, she marched to the door. And they carried the cross. Perfectly? No, only one man did. And that, thank God he did it, right? But willingly learning, growing through the process of their vocation as a child of God. One of the very last and great ways you're going to serve God is by blessing his name and accepting your calling that it's your turn to die and doing it in faith. Our brother at our church named Billy Connor modeled that well for all of us. He was in a men's Bible breakfast every Wednesday morning. When, he couldn't, when his liver cancer was raging and he couldn't go anymore, a few of the men would go to their breakfast Bible study, then go to his house and have another hour-long Bible study with him. This is what he said to them. This is what he said to us on pastoral visits. The doctor gives me only so many months. He says, I have a cancer that that's not, they're unable to cure. I am at peace because Jesus is my Savior, and if this is what the Lord has for me, I'm ready. You don't say that and mean it unless you're a disciple that's what jesus is saying the last great cross that we carry is the cross of unwanted changeable suffering without cursing the name of god instead of blessing his name 
because he's redeemed our soul and our body. And you live in the hope of the gospel even while you know you're passing from this life. Jesus, we believe you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus, we want our lives to be spent for you and not just saved for a world that's passing away. We know you love us and we love you. So help us. Help us run the race because without you, we could never get it done. Amen.